0: And it was freezing, it was Christmas, and I remember having some drinks with the guys there. And It's kind of weird to be overseas during that period, but I feel like it was very common around that time. We just expected to be away a lot of the year. It was an unusual way to live and we did it for years.
1: Welcome to the podcast, where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. The single greatest sacrifice I've made is
2: my family. We weren't out there to take country, mm-hmm. we were out there oh, yeah. to lose country, that was job.
3: Mm-hmm. I
0: did feel a lot of regret. My
2: friends were still getting shot.
3: It got to the point where, you know, you're going to humans quite do often. I lead under fire? And
2: that was a heavy responsibility, I guess, on my shoulders,
1: that I didn't want to you screw know, up.
4: It Work itself is horrific, it's a horror story, and should never be dressed up as if like it's something glorious. Not what, what you can do for yourself, or what can you do for your country? The you volunteer for service. Was in effect to
5: put your life on the I'm Thomas Kay, and you're listening to Life on the Line. This episode is our annual holiday season special with veterans from Season 5 sharing their stories of a Christmas in uniform. These are stories from lower ranks to junior officers to the Chief of the Defence Force. Some of these stories are heartwarming celebrations abroad, some were difficult days away from home. Yet all of these men did their duty on a time that for most of us is a holiday. This is Christmas on the Line. Former SAS officer Mark Wales returned to the show this year to promote his memoir, Survivor, Life in the SAS. He shared a new Christmas story with Alex Lloyd.
1: Did you ever have a Christmas in uniform on deployment or some kind of at-home SAS or Army-themed shenanigans?
0: We actually did. I think I I remember being in, I think, Tarankout. We were re-raising a capability in Tarankout in 2009, I think it was. And it was freezing, it was Christmas. And I remember having some drinks with the guys there and we were training. We had an interpreter with us and a few others. Um, And I had to change the details of this in the book because the missions we were doing at that point were slightly different to the combat missions. These were more centered around intelligence collection it's kind of weird to be overseas during that period but i feel like it was very common around that time we just expected to be away a lot of the year It was an unusual way to live, and we did it for years. Well,
1: as you write in Survivor Life in the SAS, that you get to this point psychologically that Afghanistan is home and Australia is a place you come home, do your bills, take care of that stuff, and you're not really feeling at ease there. And you mentioned to me in our original podcast it feels like this facade of this civilization we live in isn't real. Mm. Um, And so I can imagine you've been over there in the Middle East kind of appropriate for Christmas actually just a normal holiday like that takes on a whole different meaning
0: yeah it felt like we were consequential in Afghanistan and when we came home we were not anymore and it was kind of it was very unusual I remember coming home and thinking we've managed to build this society where we're now completely safe and very prosperous and it's all very kind of punishing it was it was kind of odd I think we all yearn to go back and find that meaning and purpose and that we matter to our mates and yeah it just became became that way after going there so long.
5: Royal Australian Navy veteran Wayne Bemmett remembers being away from loved ones while deployed to the Arabian Gulf. He told his Christmas story to Angus Horden.
1: So Wayne, did you end up spending any of your Christmases abroad?
5: I did, Angus. I was
6: lucky enough just to do the one. Um, That was in uh, 2008 when I was uh, living on chaos in the North Arabian Gulf. So um, I find myself pretty lucky that over 19 and a bit years I was only away for one Christmas. But uh, that was certainly a a unique experience
4: and what was the food like
6: a lot of curry <laughs> we were working christmas day and all the rest of it uh, we got to zoom home and my wife and that were at family which was great but i was you know it was in kind of winter time in the north arabian Gulf, so I had my beanie on and a few other things and i was ready to go and watch And yeah a little bit depressing but it's one of those experiences that you know i found myself quite lucky that was only just the once.
1: so in nelson's day they used to have a rum ration did you did you have a drink or uh,
6: i think they had it available but I just couldn't be bothered. I didn't really want to celebrate Christmas at all. Um, I was a little bit of a grinch, to be honest, because I was so focused on what I was doing and I wanted to save sort of cele- any celebrations I had when I came home. So fortunately enough, we were home about a month later.
5: Second Commando Regiment Veteran Wes H. Hennessy came back on the podcast this year as a contributor to our special tribute episode, number 107, Brett Wood. While catching up with Alex, H also shared a Christmas story from one of his many deployments to
1: Afghanistan. H, did you ever have a Christmas in Afghanistan?
2: Uh, actually, I did. Um, I was fortunate enough to, one, be in Kabul, and two, uh, therefore have a white Christmas. So that was um, December 2013. So it was quite unique. One, I was in Kabul, so I hadn't experienced a white Christmas before, even though, uh, well, not actual Christmas Day. I had several flights, the US over there. Over our summer, over the Christmas period, but not for Christmas Day. And I'd always wanted a white Christmas. So for me, and we got a quite uh, a reasonable snowfall in Kabul that year. So just the snow alone, even though I was in Afghanistan and I was in Kabul, it was quite unique. And I remember, to be honest with you, looking out across the mountains, that all opportunities are good to be, you know, quite picturesque. And it was good. You know, driving was extremely hazardous. At the time, I was a senior enlisted advisor to the Special Operations Advisory Group, um, and we happened to be, have our little headquarter element next to uh, ISAF headquarters, actual. So what that meant was the, the messing arrangements and other things were quite diverse and multicultural. And I do remember that um, you know, on Christmas morning, uh, walking into the mess, because there was components of you know, a multitude of countries' uh, Christmas elements. And me being a fond eater, you know, I, f- I found that, um, yeah, it was, it was just quite, to be honest, it was, it was quite, for that area, it was, it was a nice day, but like I said, quite unique in the fact that I was able to experience so many different nationalities, foods, you know, because there were all nationalities who were in Afghanistan, were particularly represented heavily at the ISAF headquarters, and the fact that, as I, uh, I've already said, that it was, um, it was a white Christmas
1: you mentioned there that it was a nice day, and previously we've talked about quite a few hairy days you've had in Afghanistan. So that must have been quite a nice change of pace for you to put the feet up, so to speak.
2: You're exactly right. and To be honest, I remember it ironically to being an enjoyable day. Uh, I think I had to go out once, and what I mean by that is you know we had to um, tool up and uh, go across. To where the fighting element that we were supporting was one of the uh, Afghanistan Special Operations Task Forces, and even I remember the drive over because it had snowed, um, you know, within the last few nights or even that night beforehand. Like I can remember the drive over was well, the driving there is you know hazardous, quite hazardous uh, normally, but this was even more so uh, with the recent snowfall, and um, you know, there's people who you know are driving around who basically haven't driven in snow before, mainly coalition forces. But yeah, we went out, we uh, got a few things done that day, uh, nothing spectacular, which is, you know, I was quite more than happy with and then came back and uh, I remember we just sat around, we had a few drinks, shared um, with some coalition partners I was with, some of the New Zealanders, uh, some of the Norwegian guys, the Americans and the Brits who were uh, all components within the uh, the small organisation I was working with at that time. And we just shared some, uh, you know, different Christmas stories, uh, different uh, Christmas foods that were specific or unique you know to those nationalities and uh, like i said matt i actually remember to be one of my better christmases <laughs> i probably had a better christmas there than i've uh, certainly had on uh, a couple of occasions back here in australia
5: another contributor to the brettwood episode was former commando jamie jamie shared his
1: christmas memory with the late sergeant brettwood mg dsm jamie do you remember a christmas in malaysia with you and the late sergeant brettwood
0: I do. It's called Rifle Company Butterworth, where we send over an infantry unit to serve and be stationed in uh, Butterworth, Malaysia. There's a city, Penang, a good place to go for young men. And we were influenced by our seniors to, to go in there and, and have some fun and, and enjoy ourselves. And a platoon sergeant took us young guys into town and we were privy to some of the cooking styles uh, in the back alleys of Penang. And, and I distinctly remember uh, being offered to drink the hot curry sauce from someone's um, little uh, hole-in-the-wall restaurant. And Brett and I and a few others were just sitting there, just sort of laughing and uh, watching this uh, sergeant drink this hot curry, which was did taste good, but very hot. And uh, yeah, early hours of the morning and, and then trying to get home.
5: Rear Admiral Chris Oxenbould was the commander of the Royal Australian Navy Task Group during the First Gulf War. He had a busy
1: Christmas day. So, around this time, you would have had a Christmas at sea, I imagine.
3: Yes, we did, which was in the, the lead up to that countdown. It was a very tense period, and that, in fact, the interception forces were still ongoing. There was a particular ship, the Ibn Khaldun, which was heading into the Persian Gulf, and it was a protest ship which had a lot of women on board and students and to try and attract media attention and make it difficult for the ship to be boarded. The Ibn Khaldun, it was being monitored very closely as it was approaching the Gulf area. The Americans who were in charge of the interception forces, they wanted to have a multinational force of of several nations involved in the boarding because it it had the potential to be quite newsworthy and media-worthy, and that's what the Iraqis were trying to achieve. And so Sydney was assigned to that boarding. I was in the Brisbane, flew by helicopter down to join the Sydney and we steamed out of the Gulf into the Gulf of Oman, just outside the Straits of Hormuz, and took part in the boarding of the Ibn Khaldun. And that was over Christmas. That was on Christmas Day that the boarding of Ibn, I, I'm pretty sure it was, was Christmas Day or if not We did the final rehearsal with the American forces, the American marines, the SEALs and the ships that they had involved with them. A different Christmas day spent at sea. A very different day spent at sea. And even the lead up to that, because when I was in Brisbane, Brisbane was spending some time alongside in Bahrain. Tim Fisher, I think he may have just been a member of parliament at stage, but he was a member of parliament. And because of his Vietnam experience, he was convinced that if Australian forces were deployed overseas at Christmas time, a member of parliament should come and join them. And we were told that uh, Tim Fisher was going to uh, join us and we weren't very appreciative of that at at, at the time because it was a tense period and we were doing a lot of preparation to get ourselves ready to the countdown of the 16th of January. However, he came and he was marvellous. Brought across a few magazines for the sailors to read on the the Mestex and stuff like that.
5: Greg Hopgood is an Australian Army veteran who deployed to Somalia during the humanitarian crisis. His Christmas story took place in Australia just before heading
7: overseas. Then they came back to Malang, but that year in 92, I couldn't ble- when I saw the news and that, I couldn't tell you where Somalia was on the map. I didn't even know it was in Africa or Europe or anywhere. wouldn't have a clue. I just saw it on the news first and then I got a phone call from my parents because every time we were on, obviously, Christmas leave for six weeks, I get a phone call when I was with my ex-wife at that time at Bribie Island because there's no mobile phones. So she rings up at Bribey Island, the house I was there, because I was making my way down, driving down for Christmas to see mum and dad. But they said, "Um, you have to turn around, you're getting deployed to Somalia. I said, what? Couldn't believe it. Like I haven't heard anything about this. So I just ended up watching that news that night. It was all over the news. And so obviously I ring the army back, 1RR, and they said, just have Christmas off and we'll fly you back. We'll fly you back Christmas. Yeah, it was Christmas Day. We got recalled back. I think Alpha Company, they were the advance party. They actually left on Christmas Day. The rest of the battalion had two weeks of pre-deployment training. But it was funny that time when I got that call, when I was reading in the army, because in 1992, a hundred-year flood had hit Leon Creek. When I was on the phone to the people at Keswick Barracks in Adelaide they were organizing a plane flight to get me back, I said, look, the phone's going to cut out any second now because I remember looking at the, the water flowing through the door of the house because the SES and the CFS, they couldn't stop the water coming in the house. All the sandbags and all that just blew, like just fell, fell over with the pressure of the water and then it started coming into the house. And Then all of a sudden, the phone went out, the water went over the, the landline and that was it. So they, actually, they thought I was making the excuse not to go. They, <laughs> <laughs> they thought, "No, stop making excuses. I'm not." making I said, "I'm not making any excuses. I'll- I actually ended up having to make the phone call at a phone box that time. I had to leave straight away. So, but yeah, they had the plane ticket was ready. The car that I came down in, we lost in the floods, and yeah. So when I got back up the to towns, I had a story to tell, but I'd never told tell- told anyone because there was much more exciting stuff going on, like pre deployment training. So I, I put that." behind me you know. So you
1: spend Christmas day you get to have it at home but it's flooded and you kind of got the upcoming deployment on your mind so I imagine it wasn't a very relaxed happy day it was more. No
4: I was
7: stressed it was the water came down that quick through Lowell Creek like I said it was one in a hundred year flood and we had to get the SES and we were rescued out by a boat and some were helicoptered on next door they had to be helicoptered off Off the roof that was at Bremerton Lodge there in Laurel Creek, and they were chopping off the roof because the second wave of water that came down was unbelievable. It just well the water went up left about probably a half a meter from the ceiling. That's how deep the water got. Then the SES they came with the Zodiacs and that, and yeah, they took the um, me and my brothers and. um, the family out you know obviously with the dog the pet dog and all that at the time uh, we had a shepherd and that so yeah then they had to put us to higher ground and then just dumped on the highest ground and then they were back into rescuing more peoples that was christmas or christmas day
5: keith wallahan a veteran of the 1st commando
1: regiment remembers vividly his christmas in afghanistan Did you actually ever, over your military career, be away from home at Christmas time? I was. When I was a platoon commander, we were all there for Christmas and New Year's. And again, that was a very special thing to be with your friends in that environment. And I think back now to those who were fathers and mothers, people in in other roles, we all decided if we didn't have kids, we'd free up the internet that was there, which then was only certain computers were set aside. So people who had kids, we wanted them to be able to talk to their kids at Christmas. A very special Christmas. We'd just come off a mission, had Christmas, and then two days later we were back out again, and we had New Year's up in Northern Auras Gone, so um, we had that in the field.
5: In our last video podcast of Season 5, Angus Horden interviewed General Sir Peter Cosgrove. Sir Peter had a rather light-hearted Christmas story to share from when he was Chief of the Defence Force.
1: Out of interest, you would have spent many Christmases abroad. Do you have any memorable times that you were there?
4: Yes, um, Baghdad. In the uh, uh, Hussein's, one of his many palaces, but there was one which was uh, became Camp Freedom or something like that, but it was one of Saddam's palaces. I was there for Christmas Day with the troops and we gathered. them I in. Mean, we had the people we had uh, salted away around the, the major Yank headquarters and we got people from uh, the Embassy Guard and those sort of folks. So uh, we had a Christmas lunch. The caterers had gone mad and produced... Hot box lunches, and in the usual way, the um, I was CDF at this stage. The usual way, the senior people put themselves on the food servery, and they're the last to get fed. So all the all the other ranks file past. So you had the four star and the three star, and yeah, a, a bunch of officers serving the food. So I'm looking around. And I thought now every soldier coming past, every sailor, soldier, airman, or woman coming past, is going to want to get served by the CDF, and what have we got here that the the diggers won't be inclined to have? And it was broccoli. this is Christmas lunch. <laughs> so big tray of broccoli. and I knew the chefs would be sad if nobody ate the broccoli. So a CDF you get to choose, I could have chosen the roast beef or something, but I said, I'll go on the broccoli. so I get on the broccoli. and the uh, every person coming past with all the luscious stuff on their plate would come to the CDF. And I'm here with my tongs, and they got the broccoli. And I said, "Your mother's been in touch, and she, she insists you have broccoli." And I put some on their plate. I was so pleased nobody said, "Well, oh, my mum died last." But, you know, I, so. But they all took broccoli. The only thing is, I'm told later on by my ADC, a lot of broccoli got scraped off in the bin. So, <laughs> and the other thing I remember about that Christmas is that they uh, uh, Santa came in. Now, Santa was wearing disruptive pattern camouflage uniform. There's a pattern. He had a red Santa hat on, a false beard, and a shoulder holster. So uh, Santa was armed to the teeth. He had a sack. He, uh, he gave me whatever he gave me. He gave me a little uh, key ring with a Santa on it, and I think he gave my Special Forces bodyguards uh, sharpening stones for their daggers. I'm not sure. <laughs>
5: That was Christmas on the Line Volume 4, 2021. Be sure to listen to the individual episodes from earlier this year. All details are in the episode description and on our website. In 2018, season two, Alex Lloyd hosted the first of these specials, Christmas
0: on the Line. It was freezing cold, it was snowing, and we were in a bunker. So it was all had all those ingredients of Christmas. In 2019, season three,
5: Sharon Maskell-Dare hosted Christmas on the Line, Volume 2. But it's a a one-of-a-kind.
1: You can't replicate that here. For as bad as it sounds, I do enjoy a little bit of Christmas here, but I enjoyed the Christmas over there more because it was different. You can't do that anywhere
5: else. And in 2020, Season 4, Angus Horden hosted Christmas on the Line, Volume 3.
2: Lots of people walking around in combat gear, all camouflaged, and booted and spurred for a fight with a red Santa Claus hat on.
5: You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Life on the Line Podcast, on Twitter at LOTL Pod, and on LinkedIn at Thistle Productions. Our website is www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com. And if you like this episode, please consider sharing the podcast on social media or rating us five stars in Apple Podcasts. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design, music by Dan Van Workoven. I'm Thomas Kay. on behalf of the team, wishing you all a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Thank you for listening.